Welcome to the official podcast of the Indiana High School Baseball Coaches Association. IHSBCA leadership includes Executive Director Brian Abbott, President Jeremy Ritchie, and First VP Kevin Hannon. Follow them online at IHSBCA.org and be sure to give them a follow on Twitter with the handle at IHSBCA. I'm your host, Dan Hill of Baseball Across Indiana, and with that, let's get right to today's episode. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the official podcast of the Indiana High School Baseball Coaches Association. Being that this is the uh, first episode, of course, our first guest has to be the executive director, Brian Abbott. And uh, Brian, before we get going too far along here, I got to ask, you know, I know baseball is kind of a a year-round project for you, but uh, it's opening day for this endeavor. So uh, looking back to when you got on board with the IHSBCA, I think it was around 2011, did you foresee something like this down the pipe? I'm not sure what I foresaw when I started, Dan. Bill handed the keys to me, and then kind of like the car, you got to learn how to drive it. Um, no, we've been, you have done a lot for us with the podcast. Um, we've had people filming our futures game. We've got some people broadcasting the All-Star Series now. Um, a lot of technology involved in coaching with the Rap Soto, the hit tracks, all the different data analysis things that none of us, you and I, would have never – dreamed of coaching a baseball team like a and now analyzing finances we were never done that but that's where we're at well so this shows kind of a microcosm of of the game of baseball itself with the <laughs> uh with all the changes and the technology down the pipe but uh you know we're going to talk about that and you know is baseball different or not you know we'll we'll see we're gonna i want to get your input on that but uh first thing i want to do is i, I want to go i want to talk about you a little bit and uh, let's get a bit a little of your background. Let's let's bring us up to speed to where we are today. So, kind of a first question, maybe a maybe a loaded question, but uh, why baseball? You know, where where did your love of baseball start? Where did it come from? Probably from my father, my grandfather. Um, my dad coached my teams growing up. Of course, there wasn't a lot of people who wanted to coach. My grandpa loved baseball. My whole family was. Cubs fans, my uncles, we grew up near Lafayette, Indiana, and we watched the Bears and the Cubs. So we got some bad football and some bad baseball all at the same time. And my grandpa took me to the Cold World Series one year in Lafayette to see Sid Fernandez pitch. I think he was pitching for Hawaii. Just always a love for baseball in general. I don't know necessarily why. I really love sports in general. But baseball has been something that's always stuck. Is uh is there a different level of of uh, uh, competition? You know what separates baseball? What what makes baseball unique? And I know we could, that's a loaded question. And we could we could spend a whole day talking about that question by itself. But uh, what is so unique about baseball in your mind? Well, it's a it's a team sport, but there's a lot of individual moments, and so you got to count on people to do their job. You got to do your job. Um, the team's got to do their job. I mean, there's a lot of components go into it. I always enjoyed the camaraderie of baseball. A lot of my friends played. We grew up playing on our own. We would put our handlebars and our bikes, you know, bats across the handlebars, take the ball, go down to the Little League Park, play home run derby. It was just always kind of something we did. 
And then you started playing with your friends. You started playing in high school with your friends and then you played for your school. And so it was just something that was just a way to compete. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it. Well, before we get into the, uh, the work side of your baseball life, here's one question, you know, this is the first episode. So this is a, a precursor to a question I'm going to ask in every single episode because you know me, you know, I, I, I'm, I come from this from a fan perspective. And right. uh, one thing I like to ask is, because it is work to you. This baseball is a job. It turns that light on behind you right there. You know, it pays the bills. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, they still call this the kid's game. So it's it's a question I call the 12-year-old kid moment. And uh, if you think of it, what, what, what keeps you motivated for baseball? Or if you think back to, I think of the, 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 the little league world series that we saw this year and the team from Hagerstown, those 12 year old kids just have that pure excitement, that innocent joy of this simple game of baseball. Are, are there any specific moments or maybe it's a, something that happens frequently where you kind of get, you, you get to step away from the work side of this baseball life and you get to just kind of get lost in that 12 year old kid moment where you're like, wow, I really do love this game. When you get between the lines, you get to practice, and it's not about the paperwork anymore. It's not about all the things that you do. Seeing kids succeed, have conversations with them, watch them enjoy what they're doing, using the knowledge and experience that you have to help them maybe find part of their game, find a little bit of their joy. But I just enjoy watching our kids, at the, even at the college level now, just play, and they have fun, and they have fun with each other. And it's just neat to be a part of that. I'm three times their age in most situations, and yet we're all enjoying the same thing. So it's kind of universal. You don't necessarily have to be young or old to enjoy it. It just brings – it's just a neat, neat thing that I enjoy being involved in. Well, I, I agree. I always said it's uh... – and again, I, I always put quotes around whenever I use my name with the word coach, because, you know, that's, you know, you ask any of the parents, they'll say, well, you might've been the adult on the field, but I don't know about a coach, but uh, you know, it's that moment where you see that kid that's struggling with any aspect of the game. And that then right. that one moment where they get it. And then the coach gets to sit back a little bit from being a coach and be a fan himself, you know, cause they get to you know, see that kid enjoy the, the fruit of his hard work. So yeah, I, I understand completely what you're talking about at a much lower level, but uh, you know, from the work standpoint, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here at Huntington, you've been there a, a total of around 18 years. I think it is. Um, you had a little stint yep. at Manchester. You were at uh, Indiana Wesleyan for five years. You're uh, a math teacher at uh, Riverview Middle School. Is that still accurate? Yes, it is. Uh, there's a there's a correlation there. We get a lot of math teachers uh, in, in baseball. There are a lot of math teachers <laughs> in our high school coaching ranks. Yep. And then uh, you've been with the IHSBCA so right around 10 years. Is that uh, Is that pretty accurate? I've been the director for probably – I'm just trying to look it up. It's when we left Jasper for the last time. It was either 11 or 12. Uh, that's when Bill decided he was done. So I've been in the association for probably 35 years. Rick Atkinson took me to my first clinic, and uh, he told me he was going to make me the district rep when he became the president. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I liked Rick, and he gave me a job. So you talk about fun of the game, people like that. Rick Atkinson was a person who definitely enjoyed the game of baseball. 
Well, I'm gonna I want to give you an opportunity to drop some more names here in a minute too, because uh, you've you've you're in the community of baseball. You're if there's a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon for for baseball, you would be the Kevin Bacon. The uh, let's talk about how you got here. Let's go back. What was uh, first baseball job? I worked at Brookville High School, 1983, with Jim Hughes, who was a Hall of Famer. Now it's funny because Scott and I've worked together for the last probably 10 to 15 years. He's our clinic chair. Then the next year I moved to Eastbrook High School to move closer back up north. So I started coaching up there. I was an assistant coach with Jim Etherington for two years. And Jim made his fame as the assistant coach at Lawrence North with Jack Kiefer. They won a lot of state championships down there. Jim and I coached baseball together at Eastbrook for a couple of years and then he left and Dave Martz offered me the job and I think I was a head coach at maybe 26, 25, 26. I don't know. I was there 20 years. Really enjoyed it. Small school. Um, you did everything. You taught junior high, you coached junior high basketball, you helped with the football program, kept stats, did PA at the basketball games. You're just, just a small school where you're just involved with everyone. Well, you know, I got a lot of respect for a person who wears a lot of hats. The uh, so uh, let's uh, what speaking of some of those early coaches, what's a who's an early mentor that uh, that gave you a lesson that stuck with you this whole time? Rick Atkinson was at Mississippi. He was a guy that just kind of took me underneath his wing. But one of the best stories I could give you was Chris Rude, who was a Hall of Fame coach at Wabash. I think I was his 300th win one night. They beat us like 11 to nothing. Maybe we got a hit. I think it was off Donnie Blair. I don't remember. And he comes up to me after the game and I'm just like, you know, I'm a young coach and I'm thinking we just got smoked. He goes, Hey, I know we beat you tonight, but you're doing a really good job. He said, keep it, keep up the good work. And it was like, at that time in your life, you're just worried about wins and losses. And he's just like, Hey, you're doing the right things. And Chris was well-respected at the time. He passed away a couple of years later, but it's funny as him and Rick were both, I think they played baseball together in college. And so there was just a nice community of people back there, the Bill Joneses of the world. Uh, I grew up playing against Spider Fields when I was at Delphi. He was a coach at Lafayette. Jeff, of course, you didn't ever beat him. And Spider just passed away here recently this week. So some of those older people were huge examples. And one other story I can tell you is Jim Turner, the coach at Logan Sport, who's no longer with us, the dad. I was talking to him one day about some things and he just encouraged me. He said, you know, I've gotten older and I've kind of lost my desire to, you know, to, to still coach. And that's why he retired. He said, but we went over there and played him one night and, and uh, he just said, you just need to stay with it. He said, you have a love for the game and I just want you to, you know, to stay with it because we need those type of people. So encouragement along the way. Let's uh, let's step out of baseball for a little bit. You know, baseball is a humbling game. You know, you gotta and you gotta pay your dues. Uh, ever carry a broom? What, what's a what's a job that uh, outside of baseball? What's an odd job out of baseball that maybe gave you a little lesson that you carried into baseball? Well, it's funny. I for the last forty years, my summer job as a teacher is I read is we redo gym floors. We sand them down to the bare wood. We realign them. We letter them. That's what I do. I do a lot of the artwork on them. Um, it's taught me a lot about precision, attention to detail. Uh, biggest thing is you tear something down, you put it back together. You can see how a project goes together one step at a time. So as a coach, when you're trying to organize the big picture of the game, 
what does it look like breaking it down into the skill levels? What kind of processes do you need? What kind of learning do you need? What kind of knowledge do I need? What kind of equipment? So it really taught me that job was a lot about bringing everything back together on a baseball field. Let's kind of reverse that uh, viewpoint there. And let's look at a baseball coach that was uh, gave you some lessons that really became a core part of how you deal with life, you know, and family, the, uh, you know, cause you're around coaches so much and they're, they're, they're such great mentors. What's a, what's a coach and what they teach you that, uh, really carries into your life. Well, I worked with coach shoes, my very first job. He was all about family. It was all about baseball, but he knew how to bring everything together. Um, just very simple man, hard work, loved what he did. You know, I learned something from him about the passion and about people. I think baseball is a game of people. Um, like I said, some of the other people I've talked to along the way, one of the guys who was not in baseball was a guy I worked for at a golf course for five years, Steve Reniker. Um, he taught me the value of everything needed to be done the right way because at a golf course, you didn't screw up the grass. So one of the reasons I was very immaculate taking care of facilities is because I knew that that was important to do that. So that was a lesson I learned from some people too, is just, you know, make sure that when you have an attention to detail, when you do things. Well, that, that mentorship, like I said at the beginning is, is going to be a big theme here that I want to pick your brain on, but one kind of right. putting those two together, baseball and life, you know, what's, what's something you would tell a young coach in today, as far as that balance and, you know, and priorities. I always ask, young people nowadays, how's your family? I try to figure out how they're doing, what they're doing. Um, why are you doing it? When I write, I don't know if you read our newsletters much. I mm -hmm. think I've tried to keep you involved with mm -hmm. those here recently, but over the years, I always try to tell our coaches life is about relationships. Um, make sure that you have time for your family, make sure you have time for yourself. Um, just to keep things in a good perspective, because sometimes if you put all your eggs in one basket, and that basket fails, you feel like you've not accomplished anything or you feel like maybe you're worthless at what you do. And I was actually just telling one of the college kids that tonight we were talking, he's a senior. He's thinking about moving out, you know, next year into the workforce. He's like, coach, how do I find value in what I do? And it's like, you don't wrap it all up into your baseball personality. Mm -hmm. You have to have several facets to your life. You know, you got to have something outside of baseball that you can pursue also. Well, and that's a, uh, that gets right at, you know, the, the relationships gets right at one of the core missions of the IHSBCA. Um, so we're going to, we'll come back to mentors, but let's, let's talk about the IHSBCA a little bit specifically. Um, historically, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back in 1971, it was where I'll tell you what, here's some names. Jim yeah. Reinbold from South Bend Clay, Ed Clark from Twin Lakes, Bill Jones that you mentioned from DeKalb, and then of course Ken Schreiber, the legend of Laporte, as I like to call him. Right. You know that was uh, that was that first meeting, I guess, and then it eventually formed. Then you know just a few weeks later, you had 25 members from the start. Uh, right. Give me a what's a what's an idea? How are we looking membership now? How what's the the size of the uh, IHSBCA now? We've grown to probably anywhere between eight to 900 in a given year based on how many coaches joined. So we've been pretty solid for a long time now. 
Um, I, this is the time of year I start getting out, shaking the bushes and reminding them to, you know, get to the clinic and get their memberships in. But it's not about getting their money. It's about getting them involved, getting them networked, getting them engaged. I learned that from Bill and some of the older guys is, you know, get involved, build those relationships. I've worked with Denny Cass here at the college and Denny's been an instructor who's in our hall of fame and Don Sherman's a local coach here and he actually substitutes teach in our building. So we talked a little bit about baseball too, but those old guys are always connected with each other. And that's what you learn from the game is you just, you just build a connection and you trade ideas and you, you talk how you're coaching your teams and just you build some relations that last a lifetime through a sport. Well, and I know you don't like to emphasize the money, but, you know, I will for you <laughs> because it's, you know, it's an investment and, you know, you're going to follow up with an investment. You know, it's a, it's a commitment with a, with an investment comes a commitment. And I think, you know, that's ultimately, you know, what we want our coaches to be, um, you know, looking at uh, some of the people on your staff, I know you're a, a guy that really, you, you put a lot of trust and, and, and they've earned it <laughs> for sure. And the, the, the people that help you out, drop some names for the people on the staff with the IHSBCA, your executive committee and, and uh, what some of their functions are and how they're helping you out. Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. So I'll do the best <laughs> I can to make sure, but everyone, one of the strengths I think that I've developed as a leader is to find the right people. And the Lord's blessed me with a lot of good people. I got Phil McIntyre, who does a lot of things for us with the Futures game, and he's always the person I call and, and talk to. And Shane Edwards is at Oak Hill. He does a lot of our newsletter. Uh, he does the Futures game. He does some um, liaison stuff with us at the IHSBCA or at the IHSAA. Jeff McKeon is coached at the high school level, and he's running our Hall of Fame now. He's kind of taken over some of those responsibilities from Ray. Uh, Kevin Hannon's a coach up north who's been on our council. This is the second time around and just a really steady guy who does anything we ask him to do. Scott Hughes is on our council, runs our clinic every year, which is a huge responsibility and a big blessing to me. You've got uh, Justin Kiever, who's one of our new vice presidents from Noblesville, who's done a really nice job. And he's an organizer, another math teacher, a guy that's really digging in we're asking a lot of questions about we're working on the tournament and a lot of things right that right now, the setup of that. Ryan Berryman's back on the council after the second time around with his, uh, he's from Western and uh, Ryan's really good with players. He does a lot of stuff in the summer. And so he's a guy that knows a lot about players when it comes down to picking our all-star teams and futures game products and things like that. Um, Jeremy Ritchie's our president right now. Jeremy's a, a dean down at Seymour who's just a fantastic guy who understands sports, very even-keeled about things and always has a good perspective. And when we get together, we just really do a nice job of um, discussing everything. Everybody has their own thoughts and opinions from where they're at, and they're not afraid to share them. We've changed a lot of things. The council has brought me some recommendations about our showcase. We changed it to a futures game. Uh, we've done some things with academic all state. We've done some things in different areas like at the clinic. And it's all been because our membership and our council has kind of, we have a nice group of people that aren't just saying yes to everything. We're really looking at everything and trying to make things better. So I've been very blessed. The, uh, 
a couple general questions here. Then we're going to talk about, you know, the specific things that the IHSBCA does where the, you know, the cleats hit the dirt. The uh, just a couple quick, simple questions here. Let's let's play for or let's talk to the coach who knows nothing about this. Can anyone okay. join? Yes. The uh, why should they? You know, let's let's talk mission. What's uh, what's some of the if if I'm interviewing you like I am right now, and you're wanting you got your marketing hat on, sell me to the IHSBCA membership. Well, we're going to be the voice of Indiana baseball. Uh, we represent the coaches in front of the IHSAA. The standard thing you always hear is we provide liability insurance for our coaches, so we provide an opportunity for you to be protected when you coach at all different levels. Uh, we have a clinic where we educate you, so we, you know, for a very small price, which we haven't raised our prices in years, you're able to come down to Indianapolis for several days and see really great speakers, interact with people like yourself, our vendors, um, network with other coaches. We have a Hall of Fame banquet. We have an FCA breakfast. We have an umpires rules meeting. I mean, you're going to get your money's worth out of coming to the clinic. Uh, you're going to see people from all over Indiana that are doing the same things you are that you're going to build friendships with, and you're going to end up probably playing those guys in a game at some point. You need to understand the scope of what you're involved in. I think a lot of times if you are up in Northwest Indiana coaching in a small school and you don't come to Indianapolis and you don't join the ISBCA, uh, you don't have any idea what all is involved. And until some of these, when these people get involved and they become an officer, or they work, they're like, Man, I didn't know we did all this. We run our own all-state teams. We run our own all-academic teams. We select umpire of the year, coach of the year. And there's nobody doing that for us. Like, I know the Indianapolis Star does the basketball game, or they used to for a long time. You know, there's other groups that do the all-star series. We do our own stuff. So we're basically, I guess I would be called an employee because <laughs> I get paid, but we're basically a volunteer organization that does a lot of work that other organizations do that probably have more staff than what we do. But our people just dig in because that's the type of people. A baseball coach is a guy who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And not that other coaches aren't, but I'm just saying a baseball coach is a guy that's used to digging in the dirt and doing the work. And and so we've been lucky to have those people involved. And when you get involved in the association, we have different committees and different ways that you can be involved to to help the game of Indiana baseball grow. Teaching, mentoring, a lot of clerical, administrative, legal. How about politics? Is there is there uh anything I mean you've get your uh, you're a kind of a liaison or a voice for the coaches between right. you and the IHSAA. Are there any challenges, you know, with with all of those top to bottom or, you know, of that list, you know, the teaching element, the mentoring element, the clerical, the administrative, you know, that uh, the the voice aspect, you know, that liaison. What are, what are the challenges? Well, the biggest challenge of any job when you have a lot of hats is time, you know, that as I do, you only have so many hours of that. But delegation is huge. Everybody on our staff and our council has a role. And they're all people that feel pretty much the same way I do. If you give me a task, I'm going to see it through to completion. Shane does a lot of our liaison work with the IHSAA. But really, Justin and I have done a lot of work redrawing the tournament, trying to get some things done. We have to work with the AA on proposals, the IHSAA on proposals. Um, we're constantly trying to dialogue with the IHSAA and just have a relationship where we can help them, they can help us. But the goal really 
I don't know if it's a political goal, but it's just a goal in general is we want to grow the game. So I think at times we both have to step back and say, okay, are we functioning under something that's antiquated or something that's relevant? You don't want to lose your mission, but you also have to adapt to um, what's going on around you. I used to teach on a chalkboard. Now everything I do is on a computer, canvas. I have a smart board. If I couldn't run technology, math hasn't changed. But if I couldn't run technology, I couldn't walk into my classroom and teach in today's world. So I've had to make some adjustments. I don't teach math any differently in terms of the facts and the way you go about things because that didn't change. The game of baseball is still the game of baseball. There's just a lot of things involved with it now. And I think the dialogue that we need to have moving forward is what's relevant in today's game what can we take from the past and bring into the future? Well, and looking looking at that right there, um, looking at where IHSBCA started and where they are now, I, I think uh, it's it's not just me saying this. I think it's uh, they're getting some a reputation as uh, you know a very well respected, very uh, well participated in coaches association across the country. Um, you know, looking at that, do you ever? pause and redefine success or you just keep moving forward what's the what's the pace or you know looking forward um you're always looking for the next thing that you need to improve on but also when you get a compliment you always want to make sure you're staying humble with it too because when we go to nashville for the national clinic this year we'll meet there's a bunch of us high school associations always meet and there's a guy from alabama and i work closely together on a lot of things and We've helped a couple other states start their association, just sharing with them, being mentors to them, you know, giving them ideas and giving them hope that it can be done. I don't know that you ever feel like you do anything fantastic, but when somebody needs help and you help them, I think you you really make a change in their world. So what's next for us? I don't know. But when we find it, we want to make sure that we go forward in a manner that's not trying to be a win at all costs. We want to make sure that we're humble in our approach, but we also want to make sure that we're aggressive in getting the things done that we need to do. But when you get done at the end of the day, you want it to be a win-win proposition with the people you're working with, because we're all trying to do the same thing as an association. I'm not trying to be better than we're never going to be Texas because we're not going to have 12,000 people. You know what I'm saying? Just because of the size of the state. But we can do things as well as anybody at the level we're at. Well, and that's kind of what I was going to ask you next is, are there any unique challenges because we're Indiana? You know, we're north of the Mississippi. We have snow. Any uh, any other unique challenges? I think the unique part of our game is trying to figure out how to help a team in northern Indiana, a team in central Indiana, a team in southern Indiana with the same type of rules because guys down south can get out long before the team guys up north can. So when we try to put policies in place for participation and practice and workouts and limited contact and all these different things, my job is to educate the coaches all over the state of why we need this. And somebody will say, well, I don't. Yeah, but the guy in Southern Indiana does, or the guy in Northern Indiana does, and we're a state association. So we have to look at things. We have to look past ourselves and say, what is going to benefit the game of Indiana, the game of baseball in Indiana? Well, the, Let's let's. I, I want to 
talk about the state of baseball in Indiana as well here. But before we do that, I want to I want to circle back to mentorship a little bit because I just I think that and and when we say mentorship, we can talk about training, we can talk about you know fostering relationships. Uh, what, what else are we missing here on that uh, mentorship element of the IHSBCA? I think the biggest thing I truly tell our coaches all the time. Make an influence on the world around you. On a kid, don't walk by somebody today that needs your help. Whether it be a kid, you got a coach 15 miles down the road. Could you make it get a phone call and get him to the clinic, get him to a district meeting in the fall and the spring? Could you be a reference to him when he needs to know how to fill out a lineup card? Do you have somebody you can call when you need help? Being a mentor, the number one word about being a mentor is just having a presence. And that could be physical, that could be knowledge-based, it could be just the fact that I know I can pick up the phone and call you. I may pick up and say, hey, can we play a game because I need to play a game. You know, and being a mentor is more like just being open to the needs of other people. Too many times we get focused on ourselves. I tell this to people at school all the time, don't walk by somebody that needs your help because there's kids all the time that are crying out at school. You have players that are doing the same thing. And there are coaches that come to the clinic or they'll call me and they're like, I'm completely lost. So I'll plug them in with one of our district reps. That's something we haven't talked about. I got 16 district reps and they are outstanding. They take care of about 25 coaches. They communicate with them, um, just do a phenomenal job with them. But they serve as that mentor too. Like they get a brand new coach in the area. How do I fill out this ballot? When do I vote? Where's this meeting at? Just having somebody you know that will hold your hand basically when you're getting started and guide you. Well, I like that you you talked about that too because you know you think of mentorship. You know, leader of men. I consider you a leader of men. Um, it's not just the student athlete, but it's also those young coaches too because they have some mm-hmm. unique challenges. Going back to what we talked about there with that you know life baseball coaching balance. You know, and yes. on that note, you know baseball you know, is as simple as it is complex. You know, it's it's science, it's math, it's technology, it's definitely psychology. You know, looking at uh, all the different aspects of baseball all the way down to fielding, you know, is there anything that uh, you wish coaches maybe focused on more or were more intentional about? Well, since you're not in everybody's practice, you don't know how they approach practice and how they talk to their kids. But I really hope they're pouring into lives. One of the biggest compliments I think you get as a coach is you get the invitations to the graduation parties, the weddings, pictures of the children when the kids grow older. You know, they want, and I've had kids that, you know, they, they want you to come back and they played for you. They want their kids to play for you. I think the biggest challenge we have is, are we making an impact in the world around us? And I think that's what I enjoy about the coaching is when you know you have, you feel like, because the wins and losses are going to go away. Most of the Hall of Fame things you get and the awards you get are based on wins and losses. But in the real thing of life, did you make an impact on the world you lived in? Well, that kind of leads it. this question. What's something that baseball coaches, generally speaking, should worry about less? Well, it's a great question. I would say worry less about yourself and more about the people around you. I'm a process person. I believe if you follow a good process, you're going to get a good result. If you go into it 
in a couple situations, I've watched guys coach too long because they were trying to get to a specific victory level that it didn't end well for them because their time has passed and they didn't know when to go. If, if you realize you're not making a difference anymore with the people around you, then it's probably not working for you. It's probably not working for anybody else. So take the focus off yourself and put it on everybody else. And I think you'll be much happier in the end. The, uh, along those same lines, again, and I'll tell you my answer to this first also is, you know, the question is, you know, in all, in the circles of all the coaches you talk to, you talk to, you know, as many as anybody in the state, you know, where are coaches succeeding in Indiana? And I, I, like I said, I'll tell you, my vantage point is from all the coaches I talk to, these are just good men and they're, you know, by and large, and they're, they're good mentors, you know, where are coaches succeeding in Indiana? I mean, in terms of with their players or just in the parts of the state or what are you, what are you thinking about? Well, let's back up and ask another question here before we even answer that one. How would you define successful program? And, you know, what's, what's something that coaches need to emphasize when they're defining? Like, what well, you asked me, I'll just turn that question back on you. How would you define a successful program? You know, how much of that weight goes to wins and losses and, and other factors? Well, you know, as a teacher – all the time we're, we're held to standards with a test, you know, like the state of Indiana wants you to pass the iLearn test now or whatever. But if I got a kid that's never going to be able to pass the test because he's low, did I get him to grow? So you look at your team and you say, did we grow? At the end of the year, when the season's over, do they still want to be playing or are they ready to be done? You know, have you encouraged them to enjoy the game and have fun with the game? Or you, have you drove them into something that you were driving them somewhere they didn't want to go? So I think success is defined a lot in terms of maximizing not only your potential as a coach, but a player's potential. And if everybody plays as well as they can, then what else is there for you to do? Well, it's That's how I would kind of define success. The, uh, the, the My latest stat shows that going into the 2023 season – there are 39 high schools that are going to be getting a new coach this year. Now, obviously not all of those were, you know, maybe not even a small percentage of them were, were pushed out. Let's call it. Um, a lot of them moved on to uh, maybe different stages in their career. So, you know, right. without evaluating that 39 or, you know, compartmentalizing them um, it is 39 new coaches. And I think, you know, high school baseball does have a lot of turnover from year to year. So I don't think this is anything um, extraordinary, but as far as how schools and, you know, this might be an outside looking in or, you know, as you talk to coaches across the state, are high school coaches being evaluated fairly? Well, I think you got to ask yourself, does social media evaluate anybody fairly? <laughs> That's one thing that we all deal with. Um, I think you're running into some situations where you have ADs who didn't coach very much or maybe not have been head coaches. They're more of an administrative person. So, they may not understand the requirements of a coach versus filling a position versus do I have somebody in here who's really doing the right things? I think a lot of times what I hear when a coach leaves, I don't know that a lot of coaches get pushed out. I'll hear one or two of those stories every year, maybe a couple more, but a lot of times it's this changed. My family changed. You know, I just retired, you know, I, I started it and I'm done with it. But a lot of times coaches feel like they don't get supported enough by the school or by the parents 
they don't feel like they don't feel like they're they're valued in what they're doing. And I think that drives as many of them out as anything from what I hear because it's a sport where you have to get some support from your administrators. They got to know that you know you're going to be there to stand behind them because you're not going to do everything right. And my question to that, the question back to that, are the athletic directors taking time to mentor their coaches or are they just putting somebody out there and throwing them out and say, here's the bats, here's the balls, here's the rule book. Go get them, Johnny. There's a whole lot more to coaching. And that's why we want people to come to the clinic and get involved in the district and find some coaching friends because you need a support group. Well, I think that would even, kind of a sidetrack, but I think that would even be maybe one of the, from my vantage point looking in, you know, there's great training there. You've got college coaches there. You've got, you know, they're talking the latest technology. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's not all about relationships, but I think that networking with coaches might be, I think, one of the greatest benefits really in any industry. But I think baseball itself um, has got to rank up there as really one of the great benefits of the IHSBCA. Yeah, and I think baseball coaches share, you know, you always hear about some sports they don't want to share because they don't want to tell you their secrets, but baseball coaches will generally tell you anything. But a side note on your point is one of the things I've noticed in the last 10 years with everything that goes on and all the facilities and everything, any athlete can get elite training. They can, they can be trained by somebody with an elite method, but that doesn't make them an elite athlete. So when the parents spend all this money and get the training and they think, well, I've done this, you know, and he's been trained by so-and-so. Well, does he want to compete? Does he like the sport? Does he have the ability to make this, you know, play the sport? Just because you have all the bells and whistles doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed success when you go time to take it on the field. So a lot of times a coach will have kids come up and then gone somewhere and got expert advice and things like that, but they still need to learn how to play the game. So the coach has to learn how to, you know, you talked about the psychology piece and things like that. You got to learn how to bring a team together as a coach. And that's hard to do when you're young because if you always played, you never worried about it. But if you're the guy that's got to assemble the parts now, it's a whole different ball of wax. Well, you talked about the, uh, you know, the notoriety and things like that as a, a prospect, you know, the, the projectability, I guess you would say, you know, coming into the 2023 season, Indiana has some kids that are very highly projected. But the the uh, exposure to that projectability is definitely not what it was even ten years ago. You know, kids are getting recognized and notori and and getting the notoriety at a much younger age. Um, you know, in that modern environment, let's take the 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 public exposure side of it. You know, uh, all the way to the technology side of it. As as any of the modern baseball environment, where is it? benefiting maybe Indiana players um, to where, you know, we've, we've got some disadvantages being in the North and we're dealing with winter and things right. like that. What part or what part of this modern baseball environment um, is helping? Well, I think sometimes the exposure these kids get in the summer with the travel, like, you know, we have Max Clark now, who's one of the, depending on where you look, one or two prospect in the United States, um, still playing high school football for his mm -hmm. high school, you know, and still, didn't go to a prep school, stayed in Indiana. You know, he's representing his community. I think that's neat. So you're going to get some of that notoriety. And, and kids are going to a lot of places in the summertime and getting exposure. 
And so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I guess the one thing that I would, we talk a lot about as a council when all this happens is, you know, there's, there's exposure and then there's coaching. So sometimes you go get the exposure, but if you're on a team that, you know, who's coaching you? Are you, are you learning while you're in that environment in the summertime? That's what's really going to ultimately make an impact on most of those players because there's some kids that are really, really good, and the exposure is good for them because it's given them a nationwide presence. But a lot of these kids are going to play baseball at a smaller school, you know, and, but Indiana's got its share. When you start looking around, Indiana's got its share of kids that are going to bigger schools, colleges, um, playing in the professional ranks. Um, I think we're very well represented for a state our size, especially with the weather that we have. Well, I'll just I'll follow up with that with just a, a, a little stat, which is if I, I looked at two things recently. I looked at uh, D1 Baseball just recently put out the top 100 programs in the country. Um, and if you look at, I call it the, the north and the south. I, I, I use the Mississippi River or the Ohio River as the, as the cutoff right. there. If you just took the Ohio River and split the country all the way east to west, um, as far as states in the north, I looked at that the top uh, D1 programs, and then I looked at draft picks in the previous year's draft, put them all together, and uh, evaluated by population as well. And as far as states in the north, Indiana was number one. Uh, we had four teams uh, in the D1 top 100, and then all the draft picks we had uh, back in the previous draft. And I think as far as population density, only Louisiana beat us, but I don't think anybody's ever going to beat Louisiana with uh, being a small state number one. So that's just, you know, I'm, I'm the cheerleader here of that point that you just made. So <laughs> it, uh, it's absolutely true. And when we talk about that, when we talk about the state of baseball in Indiana, as we get close to wrapping up here, you know, we talked about some of the things on how it benefits the student athlete. You know, if we looked at technology, the IHSBCA is is a resource that's providing, you know, the vendors and the conference and the information about all these uh, tools and technology and things like that in baseball. Um, is there is there any part of maybe that modern uh, dynamic that, uh, that, that could, you know, you would want to tell a coach, okay, here's all the stuff, but slow down. You know, is there anything that could possibly hinder the game as far as that side of it, the modern side of it? Well, I think that we talk about this a lot at college. Um, I remember going to a camp one time where I, there was some pro scouts there. We we're all watching catchers, and everybody's got their stopwatch and their radar gun. You know, they're seeing how hard they can throw and everything. And It's the metrics. Mm -hmm. And this guy beside me wasn't doing anything, and he goes, I said, what are you doing? He goes, using my eyes, you know. <laughs> And what that told me is, in the middle of all the information, don't forget to look and see what's obvious. Because a lot of times in the middle of the data, you know, you got all this, we're striking this, and you got this spin rate, and you got this exit speed, and you got all these things going on, all these metrics that you can use. But you really can't tell, okay, can the kid play? What kind of tools does he have? Can he throw a guy out when he needs to? Can he put the ball in play when he needs to? Can he throw a strike when he needs to? Well, he's got a great spin rate. He's got great velocity. You got this. Yeah, but what can he do when we need him to do it? And so I, I guess I would encourage coaches when they have all this information, that's just a part of it. It's not, you know, it's not the, uh, 
the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, well, as we get close to what's that? Go ahead. No, I just was saying, just just be careful and make sure you're keeping things in perspective. Is there uh, any technology that uh, you're using there at Huntington? You're like, wow, I wish I had this 20 years ago. Well, we use the wrap soto and the head tracks and the the different things to get metrics and things like that. And we have synergy where we watch the games and, you know, it gives you a bunch of information on that, which is all good. But I think what at times, if you pay attention to the game, I think what you find out a lot of times is the metrics prove out what you're seeing with your eyes. You know, back in the day, we would talk about the ball carrying. Well, the ball carrying has a lot of backspin on it. You know, so just little things like that. Are there any, uh, you know, just thinking about that, is, is there any technology that, let's say, a coach is at a, a small school, not a lot of budget, and they're basically the old school book and a pen, and that's their technology. If there, uh, if there was the first piece of technology that, uh, or any kind of modern uh, measurement tool or any kind of analysis tool, um, the first one that they should probably go get. You know, and this question is technology changes so fast, your answer may change on this tomorrow. But just off the top of your head, what's the, one of the first things you would tell them to look into? I don't know that I'd be qualified to answer that because <laughs> I haven't been. Well, yeah. at, at the college, we have a little more access to resources, whereas a high school coach, mm-hmm. I've been out of the game since I left Huntington North in 2016. And, uh, you know, we would use the radar gun, the pocket radars, the different things over there. But I really don't know what a high school budget looks like anymore. That's one of the things I was going to share with you. The other thing we do at the clinic, we have a really neat fundraising component. We have some really neat major sponsors in our clinic that provide opportunities for coaches to buy things, you know, keep their prices down on things and raise money. And we try to provide all assets, all aspects of a coach that he's going to need for his program. Because if you want those toys that you were talking about, you're going to have to probably go raise your own money to get them couple quick uh, wrap-up questions about the IHSBCA. Specifically, any uh, rules that maybe you're taking a second look at? I'm not saying there's going to be any movement on them. I don't want them, but uh, anything you maybe got your eye on to take a second look at? We're always looking at participation rules, trying to figure out how our coaches can get more time with their athletes. Um, we're looking at probably a discussion about maybe a fifth class at some point or having four classes and maybe having different sizes to try to address some enrollment. Um, we just got limited contact a couple of years ago where our coaches are getting more access to their kids. One of the things I would like to see personally is I'd like to see the schools determine their limited contact period because they all start schools different dates. They all have fall break at different dates now. So giving the schools a little bit of individual flexibility and say, You've got seven weeks to do this. You know, here's the time period you can do it in. Um, just always participation rules or how I want to have our coaches have as many opportunities as they can to coach their kids. I want our coaches to, you know, to be able to, there's travel organizations that are out there doing a lot of things, but at the end of the day, our coaches, we have a lot of good high school coaches that would like to be able to work with their teams and we're just trying to make sure that we get some rules that are capable of doing that. The uh, IHSBCA conference is coming up in a actually be a couple of weeks from when this episode airs, uh, January twelfth through fourteenth, I believe it is. Yeah, I want to make sure that. Saturday. Okay, what's uh, what's something you're excited about with that? Always interested to see the 
speakers that Ryan puts together. He always does a good lineup. That Ryan Bunnell is probably a guy I didn't mention earlier, but he does all of our speakers. Um, just that piece there is a huge piece of it. I just enjoy seeing all the coaches. I enjoy, I enjoy being in the hallway when I do registration and just listening to the buzz. These guys seeing each other, talking, you know, talking about different things, coming out. I enjoy a young coaching staff coming out. You know, they've been to the clinic and they say, hey, we heard this, you know, taking time to organize what they're going to be doing when they start practice, getting excited about, you know, learning things that they can help kids with, um, maybe finding new products that their program can benefit from. I was just trying to always create an environment where our coaches have everything they need available to them to, to look at and to be exposed to when they get to the clinic. Is there a, uh, with, with this episode airing January 2nd, is there a cutoff for registration or is that, uh, will that be come and gone? No, they can go. They can obviously the sooner the better because it helps us plan for everything in terms of numbers, but, um, no, they can register the day of the clinic too. Um, we've got some new sponsors that are getting involved with things this year, a couple that I'm still working on agreements with, but the Indianapolis Umpires Association is going to sponsor some things this year and and come and have a presence at our clinic so we can develop right. some relationships with umpires and try to figure out ways to create more umpires for our games. And, again, we're trying to work with every piece of the puzzle. I mean, that's what you talk about time-consuming. You want to try to make – there's just a lot of facets to the game, and my job is the much as I can do with that, that takes the weight off the coaches. You know, I don't want the coach. I want the coaches to worry about coaching their teams. I want them to tell me what they need in terms of rules. And I want to go to bat for them for that. What do they need in terms of speakers? What do they need in terms of, you know, X, Y, Z? Like one of the things we heard from our coaches was we used to have an academic team all state that was kind of limited. And we've changed the guidelines a little bit on that to make it more, you know, to get more kids on that. We've got almost, 180, 190 kids some years where we used to have a top 50 or something mm-hmm. like that. Coaches wanted more recognition for their kids because they wanted to recognize that student-athlete piece. So we're doing that. Um, again, and any suggestions you have, like in your seat, Dan, if there's things that you see that would help baseball, let's talk about them because that's what we want to be here to do. Well, I, I think it should be mandated that when you get a new hat, you got to bring an extra to the conference. But that's that's on the side for sure. But you uh, do a great job with that. <laughs> we appreciate you and Jeff and Steve creating a dialogue about Indiana baseball because we can't do it on our own. And it's not about creating a. It's not about social media creating something that has to be dealt with. It's about social media creating energy that people want to celebrate and enjoy. We want people to enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't want to back somebody in a corner and tell them it needs to be done. We want to create the excitement so they understand there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of kids that are sacrificing to play the game. There's a lot of parents that are sacrificing so their kids can play the game. And at the end of the day, when you go to the state finals in Indianapolis or you go to, I go to sectionals and regionals and semi-states all the time, all over the place. And I enjoy the communities that get behind their teams, kids representing their schools, um, this may be funny, but I was at a high school football game at Noblesville just on Friday night because a friend of mine coaches there. And it's like just even to watch the competition in different sports. I love high school sports in general, not just baseball. 
You are absolutely preaching to the choir there. Just that community aspect, and uh, we could we could have a whole another hour just discussing why we like youth sports like that. But, uh, Coach, I, I really do appreciate it. Is there anything on the IHSBCA that uh, that I didn't give you an assist for that uh, we want to make sure is mentioned? No, just I just want to encourage people to get involved and join. And again. You made a comment earlier about the money is important. I mean, it helps us run what we do. But more than anything, I came out of involvement with the IHSBCA. All these other people got involved. Somebody got them involved, and now they're leaders in the organization. We're not going to be here forever. Who's going to carry the torch down the road? And part of being that mentor is finding those people that are going to you know, carry on. Bill, I would have never dreamed I'd be in this role. Bill thought, you know, hey, you'd be really good at this. and it's I've enjoyed it, but who's the next me? Who's the next you? Who's the next anybody? I mean, part of mentoring is to make people love what they do. So they want to pursue it at a higher level. And then pass the torch accordingly. Yes. I'll tell you what coach with this being the first episode, I want to make sure I take a, take a second to thank you for allowing me to be involved in this venture. Um, I'm really excited about it. You know, Baseball is a job for many. It's an industry for many, but it is still fun. And that's the part that I'm, I'm yes, it is going to hope to bring to it, but also be able to represent, you know, the mission of the IHSBCA. And, you know, I mentioned hats a couple times. I promise you it won't be about hats. But <laughs> I, I do want to mention just real quick a couple upcoming episodes. You know, what do we have in store? This is the first episode. Let me give you an overview. We've got, uh, you know, Brian let us off on opening day. We've got Ryan Brownlee. Coming up on episode two next week, he's going to talk about the baseball community and what a perfect person to do it. He is the guy that runs the podcast for the American Baseball Coaches Association, the ABCA. They were going to Jasper. We're going to talk building the building blocks of tradition with Coach Gobert and Ray Howard. We're going to talk to Coach Pat O'Neill, currently of Danville, talking about coaching a top prospect. Of course, Lance Lynn, Tucker Barnhart, Drew Storen. We're going to talk to uh, a, a host of people together, Coach Cheever of Fisher, Coach Brunel, who uh, Brian mentioned earlier of Westfield, Coach Kiever of Noblesville, and Coach Moore of Zionsville at HCC, uh, four-headed monster right there. We're going to talk about the brotherhood of baseball. We're going to have a Terry Bradshaw special. That's Coach Tim Terry of South Vermillion and Coach David Bradshaw of Jackson Dell. We're just going to have a conversation with a couple veteran coaches because at the end of the day, Brian, that's what this is going to be. It's going to be today's conversation with coaches, and I really appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate all the work that you're doing with the IHSBCA and letting me tag along. Thanks, Dan, and good luck to you and Steve and Jeff as you move forward with your venture. Folks, we'll see you next week. Take care.